0: Amen. Good to see you today. Well, last time I taught you two weeks ago in 2 Samuel, we were in chapter 11 at really one of the darkest points, certainly of David's life, one of the darkest points of any biblical character to a great degree. We talked about sin and how sin is anything that you do that causes you to settle for less than God's best for you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So every one of us does this. We do something that allows us to say, I know that God has better for me, but I will settle for this. And we talked about in David's story in 2 Samuel 11, how sin tends to be addicting. It sucks you into a vortex where you commit one sin And then you go, what do I do now? And you have a choice to either admit that you messed up or to continue to double down on stupid and get sucked into this thing where you add sin to sin to sin to sin and it pulls you down and destroys you. It's what addictions do. It's what any kind of habitual failure does where sometimes we will put up with almost anything rather than to just admit, I messed up. When we serve a God who is more than willing to forgive, as we will see. Well, we saw David last time, two weeks ago, where he just kept, you know, first he's checking out this good-looking girl. Then he's asking who she is. At some point, he can go, "Oh, she's married. Okay, that's enough. But no, he has to keep going further and further, covering his sin, ends up having her husband killed on the battlefield in a way that a lot of other people ended up being killed in the process. It was devastating. More and more people know what he's doing. And then finally, the worst of all really was that he acted like the big hero where he goes and marries Bathsheba, this poor widow, and takes her son on as his own as he's, she's pregnant. And it's like it got so low that in the last verse of, of chapter 11, it says, but the thing that David did, had done displeased the Lord. It's like, what do you do when God is looking at what you've done to your life, and he goes, this is not what I want for you. This is not what your best could be. This is a series of stupid decision after stupid decision after stupid decision, settling and settling and settling, and therefore it puts you right where you are right now. Now, many of us have had times in our lives when we got to a point where we're like, Whoa, I don't know what happened or how this happened, but I'm way off track. If you're in that position, it's great if you have someone like David did. David had Nathan here in chapter 12. Nathan was a guy who was loyal. He had David's back. He was always there for him. Nathan was a real godly person too, who heard from God. Remember, Nathan was the guy who, when David came up with the idea of building a temple, Nathan's like, awesome, And then God goes, hey, Nathan, no. But I have something better for David. And then he had to go and communicate that to David. So he was the kind of guy that David could listen to. Paul tells us that if your brother is caught up in an offense, and a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, if you see someone who's messed up, first of all, you need to make sure that you're in a close, tight position with God. Then you need to humble yourself. You can't be, you know, yelling at them. Then your heart should be to bring them back in and to restore them. Now, if you look at somebody you know who's messed up and you want to correct them, make sure that you fit that description. Because I don't know about you, but in my life, most of the people who have tried to correct me are anything but that. There are people who just want I'll show you, I'm confronting you, I'm going to do this to you. It doesn't work. Nathan responds to God brilliantly as he communicates with David in the best way possible. So what he does is he tells a story. You can always communicate to people's hearts better with a story than you can with an outline, than you can with a lecture, than you... Stories bring us in. It's why I, I always love the Hawaiians, when they just sit around and talk, they, they call it talking and story, because it's like we are exchanging things that we've experienced. You, you may go, ah, who needs a story? Just say it. But the story is it. If you look at Jesus, he comes from heaven to communicate with people. He has three years to do it. Most of what he did was talk story. Most of what he did is tell stories that presented lessons in an unhurried, unbiased, you know, not condescending way. And Nathan does this too. And you see the power of story as he does this. Well, it's like he came to David and he goes, hey, I've <coughs> got a story to tell you. There were two men in one city, one rich <coughs> and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished and grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. The Jews would take an unblemished lamb and have it live with them like a pet. So they would really get attached to it, Because then they could appreciate, even when it was time for sacrifice, this was like a member of the family. This was like, you know, someone special. And so he paints this story. For those of you who are dog lovers, um, you kind of understand this. Where a dog becomes like a member of the family, they become more important to you than your family sometimes. And, you know, now if if you're a cat lover you are the most dysfunctional person. He goes like, that means you want to live with somebody who doesn't give uh, anything for you. They're just like, yeah, whatever. Nobody, they would never sacrifice cats because why? But, he tells this story about a guy that has a lamb that's like a member of the family. And he goes on and he says, a traveler came to the rich man. So there's a rich guy He's got lots of cattle. And this guy comes along and goes, Hey, man, you got, a, got any meat for me to eat? And, you know, he goes, I don't really want to kill any of my animals. So he went next door and he took this one little lamb. He took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse five David's like furious. David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, presumably before he dies, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David's like got strong opinions about someone who would do such a thing. And then Nathan comes up with the punchline. Nathan, verse 7, said to David, You are the man. And immediately, I mean, David had in the back of his mind, he knew what he had done to Uriah. He knew how he had messed up, but he didn't admit it because he covered it. He thought he had covered himself really well, but he didn't hide himself from God. So God spoke to Nathan, and Nathan probably knew what had happened. Certainly Joab knew, a lot of people knew, but like David wasn't facing it. And here's this confrontation. You're that guy, David. And, but then, before David even has a chance to say anything, thus says the Lord God of Israel. This is where he gets off his story, and he speaks for God. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives, Isn't that trippy that God gave him multiple wives? But anyway, um, into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You killed him even though you didn't kill him. You've taken his wife to be your wife, have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Remember in that battle, they were mopping up with Ammon. They will finally at the end of this chapter, but he's like, he set him up. And you used Ammonites to kill this guy. Now, therefore, verse 10, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. You acted like, "Oh, you were doing such a great thing for poor old Uriah." Thus says the Lord, "Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. Your own family is going to rebel against you as Absalom certainly did. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son again happened during the rebellion under Absalom." For you did it secretly? What a joke. I'm going to do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. It's going to be outdoors in the open. So David said to Nathan, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. As soon as you admit that you've sinned, God takes that confession and he says, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm putting this behind me. You are forgiven. However, because by this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Besides all this other stuff, because of what you've done, I forgive you, but that child... Is going to die. And then Nathan just walked away, no doubt tears in his eyes, because like, he loved David. And he saw what a horrible consequence was going to come from what David had done. And then, in fact, the child, the Lord struck the child, and it became ill. And David pleaded with God, verse 16, for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night in the ground. So the elders of the house got up, and they tried to get him to eat, and he wouldn't, and on the seventh day, the child died. The servants were afraid to tell him, because they're like, he was that upset when the kid's sick, how do we tell him that he's going to die? And they said, we're afraid that he's going to do some harm, he might kill himself. When David saw that they were whispering, he goes, the child die!" And they said, yeah. So David got up, and he washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped, went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. His servant said, how does this make sense? What have you done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He's dead. He's gone. I'm not going to sit here and wish that he wasn't. I'll someday go to be with him, but I can't bring him back with me. And so then they're like, wow. And this is a beautiful picture of mourning. Like there's a place and a time for mourning, but there's also a time to go, we better get back at life. We've got to get going. We have our own lives to live. But he comforted Bathsheba, his wife, which is a funny metaphor because when he comforted her, she bore a son. And he called his name Solomon, which means shalom, peace, peaceful. Now the Lord loved him. Isn't that amazing? He He has a child with Bathsheba and God loved this child. And in fact, God would love Solomon so much, he would be the next one to become king over Israel. He was the one who God said, he's the wisest person ever on the earth. This little boy who's born from Bathsheba, in the face of all of this devastation, God loved him, and he told Nathan, hey, I want you to go tell David, you can call him Solomon, but also call him Jedidiah, because of the Lord. That means beloved of the Lord, beloved of Yahweh. And so then for the rest of the chapter, Joab, who I think is one of the most underrated people in the Old Testament, he was amazingly loyal. Yeah, you know, he killed Abner, he did some other, but Joab would always be there for David. When there was a war, he would be there. Even when David's son Absalom rebelled against David, Joab stuck with David until right at the end, and then on David's deathbed, he told Solomon, after I'm gone, kill Joab. But still, Joab, he could have easily just made himself look good, and he could have been resentful, and he probably was, that one of his best soldiers, Uriah, had been killed because of David's selfishness, covering his own sin. But he wanted David to get back in the game. And so he ended up, and you can read the verses, I won't read them all to you, but they're about ready to wipe out this city that had killed Uriah, but it was because of their intentional bad strategy that it happened. And he calls for David, and he goes, "We're about—we uh, cut off their water supply. These guys are history. It's the last of the Ammonites. I want you to come and get this win. I think you need it after everything that you've been through." And so he goes, "Come." And David's like, "Yeah." And, you know, a lot of times as you get older, you feel like people are just like waiting for you to die so you get out of the way so that they can do their thing. I love that Joab is like, is going, David, I want you to get this win. And so he brought him forward and he yelled, led the charge. They conquered this little city and he took the crown off the king and he put it on himself. Tells you everything you need to know about Joab that he let David have this win. But it was also a subtle thing for David that, okay, this reminds me of who I am. This, I, I can be a little nostalgic about my better days. And it was kind of a nice closure in a way. The story never closes because, and this whole chapter, I mean, there are several things. Gosh, I could just talk about Nathan and about how important it is to have someone in your life who loves you enough to be able to tell you the truth in a way that you can hear it. Not many of us have Nathans like that, but if you have one, be grateful that there's someone who can communicate with you lovingly and gently, but profoundly, honestly, and you'll listen to them. If you don't have anyone in your life that you listen to, that's probably a you problem. But to find people in your life who will tell you the truth it's one of the most valuable things in life, so I could go on on that. I could go on on the whole thing of it's so important to take older leaders and let them still be seen as if they have value that's a you know the older I get, the more important that lesson is to me. but um, what I really want to focus on is for me, the most profound thing in the story in this chapter, and that has to do with the fact that you know. Okay, David sinned, he confessed, God forgives him. And what's with all these consequences? What's with like, I forgive you, but your family is gonna be a mess for the rest of your life. I forgive you, but people are always going to blaspheme because of your bad example. This is something that the effects will go on. In fact, your new baby is going to die because of the sin that I forgave in you. See, and to me, this is one of the most important things for us to learn in life is that our decisions have consequences. When I do something, it matters. And I know you've heard, I've heard you know, so many uh, ministers say and you know, say talk about getting forgiveness by God, and they say, justification. Justification means just as if it never happened. Not only is that completely ignorant linguistically, it doesn't at all mean that, the word doesn't, but it's a complete lie. There isn't anything that you, when you receive God's forgiveness, it does not mean that you don't suffer the consequences of your stupid choices. It just doesn't. Life isn't that way, and it isn't that way for a very important reason. See, if i would if i could just say oh i'm sorry and then the whole world would act like i never did what i did then how important is what i do how much consequence is there to my actions if my good actions have good consequences my bad actions also have to have bad consequences or i don't really matter and i think a lot of times we want to push it aside and there are people who are like you know oh i'm sorry that i hurt you, and they expect you to go, okay, I forget all about it. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not erasing the past. It's moving forward in you know making advances as I make new decisions. Like we talked about two weeks ago, this compounding of one settling for less than, added to another, to another, to another, one sin on another, on another, these addictions with which we all struggle to a degree, um, that's what destroys us. But only if we understand that all of our choices have consequences can we really become the people that God wants us to be. So it is not, you're forgiven and therefore no consequences. No, that's not real life, and that's really a, a degradation. Now, in Psalm 51, as we read this morning, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That's kind of, I always thought that was weird, because it's like, uh, how about against Uriah? How about against the other soldiers? How about against Bathsheba? How about against your wives? You can come up with a whole bunch of people that he was sinning against, but his perspective at this point was, The ultimate failure was that I failed to be who I could have been. I failed to follow you in what you want for me. And as a result, that's the ultimate problem. God will always forgive you. But that doesn't mean that he will take away the consequences of what you've done. And there are manipulative people who will make you feel like, if you've really forgiven me, why are you still... You know, why are you still knowing this? Or why don't you trust me anymore? Trust is a funny thing. When you trust somebody, you trust them to act consistently with the way they've acted before. I mean, that's what trust is. You don't like, if somebody keeps lying to you and then you don't believe them, it's not that you don't trust them, it's that you do trust them. That they've told you exactly who they are and you actually believe it and you accept it, and you trust in that. God forgives us, and when we are, we are commanded to forgive others, by the way, you'll find that God is way better at forgiveness than people, but forgiveness just means I'm going to set that aside, and I am not going to let what you did live with free rent in my head for the rest of my life. I am going to say that happened, I'm going to put it past me, and I'm going to continue to move forward. Not that I don't learn from it. Not that our relationship is even going to be the same. It's going to be affected, probably. But I'm just saying, I'm not going to be the guy who's all bitter against somebody for the rest of eternity when what they did, okay, it was wrong, but I say, I forgive you. Uh, The word means to set something aside. I'm not going to carry this with me as a burden. And so... God's really good at that, people aren't. But here's the heart of it, I think, and here's why it's so important and why I'm, you know, going to these links to try to explain and express this. If, I mean, I would love it if I do something stupid and I confess it and there are no consequences. Wouldn't that be great? Actually, no, it wouldn't. In fact, that would be horrible because if there are no consequences to my bad choices then how can there ever be consequences to my good choices and be consequences see what I, and i think people are confused about this and when i answer bible questions a lot every week i do on his channel for an hour and then i also do it on pastor's perspective every once in a while and every time i'm getting questions some of them have to do with the fact that why does god allow Satan to exist? Why, does, why doesn't God just stop people from sinning? Or why doesn't God... And it's all the same misunderstanding. You think the best world would be a world where people don't have choices and where people's choices don't matter. And yeah, in one respect, being a robot would be very comforting. But the, most, the greatest privilege and power we have as human beings is that I can choose to do something and it actually affects the future in a positive way. Every feeling that we value, every character quality that there is, love would not be love if you couldn't choose not to love. There would be no such thing as courage or bravery or loyalty or all of the values that we would put at the top of the list wouldn't exist unless there was an option to not do those things. When God created humans... He created them with this ability to respond and to face consequences. It started in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. And the devil, by the way, is still lying about your consequences, telling you you'll get away with it, thinking, oh, God will forgive you, it'll be fine, and there won't be consequences. That's the whole scam. The whole scam is designed to take away from you and from me our incredible power, to be able to determine what happens in the future based on the choices that we make today. Do I walk according to his love? Do I treat people, choose to treat people in a good way? Great, then I have good consequences and it's a great feeling. At the same time, the guardrail on the other side is, if I am a jerk, people won't like me after a while. That's a real consequence to go, oh boy, I was really a jerk, so can you just make those people treat me like I'm fine? You have people in your life who do that. They treat you like dirt, and then they expect you to just like, well, you're a Christian, right? You, why, don't you, why don't you act like I didn't do that? The reason I won't is because that would fly in the face of the greatest gift that God gave people other than Jesus himself, the gift of self-determination the gift of being able to make choices. And see, if I don't suffer consequences from the times when I settle for less than God's best, then why in the world would I ever be able to experience the great consequences of obeying Him and having a relationship with Him and knowing that I did something that brings good into my life? You can't have one without the other. You can't give people choices and say, there are only consequences to the good choices, not to the bad, as long as you admit that they're bad. What kind of people would we become? Why would anyone do anything positive if all you can do is just break even, do everything selfish that you want, and then admit that you did it, and now it's like, just as if it never happened. If you're living in a world where you think that what you have done is just as if it never happened, you're delusional. Because the fact is, an awful lot that hurts in your life is because of bad choices you've made in the past. But that reminds us, a lot of the good in your life is because of good choices that you've made in the past. And that's real life. And that's why I think it's so important for us to understand this lesson that we see in the man after God's heart. In the man that God brags about the most and the one that in the last chapter of Revelation, Jesus brags about being related to David. And yet look at him. He made some good choices, and he had some good consequences. One of them was his son Solomon. He told Solomon, if God ever asks you what you want for Christmas, tell him wisdom, because that's the most important thing. And Solomon said, I remember, I was a little kid. My dad taught me wisdom is the most important thing. And he became the wisest person in the earth. And we all benefit from, you know, hardly a day goes by when I don't, either meditate on or read some of what Solomon wrote. That was a consequence, a good consequence that came about. And I mean, let's face it, we would have never had that option had even David's sin toward Bathsheba and his killing of Uriah lead to ultimately Solomon coming out. See, God causes everything to work together for good. But with David who ultimately sacrificed most of the rest of his family, and family was everything to them. David would not have said, oh well, doesn't matter. You can tell as we read through this book and you're going to see what happens with his son Absalom and and the devastation that his heart was broken again and again, and these were all consequences of the stupid decisions that he had made as he spiraled down in this web of sin It was horrible. It was awful. He had pain in his life. But there was also, in the end, the blessing. Who was with him? Solomon, Bathsheba, Nathan. They were the ones that were there with him. They had his back in the end. I mean, in our culture today, if if I'm correct that this is one of the most important, valuable things to understand, that our choices have real consequences our society today is geared toward teaching us just the opposite it's geared toward telling us that well you know if they hadn't done this if i didn't live in a you know a society, i was abused think about david he had every excuse in the world he was you know his his father didn't appreciate him he was the youngest and they tossed him off to the side his father-in-law treated him horribly, tried to kill him multiple times. He was abused. His wife was horrible. He, you know, people were, I mean, David had every and besides that, read the Psalms and you find out he was seriously bipolar. I mean, he, today we would probably institutionalize him. We would certainly give him enough medication. He's not writing any more psalms. We're going to be his psalms would sound more like modern Christian music, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend, and I feel his breathing on my neck, and that kind of nonsense, because it's like, you don't experience those kinds of extremes without knowing what it feels like to hurt, and then knowing, wow, what it feels like when the pain goes away for a while, and when it's awesome, and so, you know, he would have every excuse for what he's doing, but he didn't do that, he didn't go, you know, God, I'm sorry I did that, but I mean you made such a beautiful woman and it was really hard. What could I do? What was, what was I expected to, to happen? Or, you know, it's just, I'm getting old and this is hard and the way I was raised and the society. And no, he goes, when he hears the story, he's like, I sinned. And that's somebody who will take responsibility for himself. See, in our culture today, again, we decide that, well, I mean, you were in an abusive relationship. Am I in favor of abusive relationships? No. But you know what? If you're in an abusive relationship, your responsibility is to get over it and to move past it and to make better decisions. And that's when, you know, I hate when people tell those in abusive relationships that they just need to stay in it. No, you don't. You have choices. Your choices have consequences. And, You make the choices that are going to give you the rest of your life. But if we just act like, well, we're just victims, we're here, you know, it's like, and as much as I think, for instance, racism is a horrible thing. It it is. It's awful. And I I can't imagine, especially somebody growing up in the 50s and 60s, where they weren't allowed to drink at the same drinking fountains. and And if you think that that kind of stuff still doesn't exist subtly today, you don't get out much. But you know what? The way to beat that is by making good choices despite it. Will we ever have another Jackie Robinson, for instance, who goes, I don't care what you do to me, I'm stealing home. I'm beating you. See, those are the things that we end up valuing most. It doesn't excuse what you endure and what you've gone through. It just says, you know what, your future... God is with you, and he will give you the strength to make better choices in the future, which is going to give you a better life. And I worry about people growing up nowadays because more and more they're entitled. More and more they just think that somehow they ought to have as much as a person who works when they don't work. And ultimately, it's like what you do is everything's par for the course. That's such a cheap form of life, to be able to feel like, you know what, no matter what I choose, I'm a victim. This is just the way it is. I can't... It's kind of like, and at the same time, when you recognize you blew it, are you expecting it to magically go away? You know, if you decide to eat at McDonald's five times a day, and then you finally notice when now you don't fit in the mirror anymore, (laughs) and you're like, oh, God, I'm so stupid for eating at McDonald's all those times. God, please forgive me. And he goes, I forgive you, but you know what? How you eat today is going to determine what you see in the future. See, it's so empowering. And it sounds so sympathetic to just say, I know I blew it. So will you forgive me? And God says, yes. Maybe people say yes. And then you go, okay, wait, what's all this stuff? What's this burden? Why is this happening? I said I was sorry. I thought it was just as if it had never... No, it happened. But the greatest thing is, what happens today is going to have consequences as well. And if we don't understand that, if we don't appreciate that, then we don't understand the greatest gift that God has given to people other than Jesus himself, the ability of Mm self-determination. The ability that I decide what I'm going to do today and that that has ramifications in the future. And I think that's why we see this list of consequences. They're sad, but did this stop David? Did this hold him back? He found the blessing of Bathsheba and Solomon being the only ones that ended up staying with him after this. And can you blame his other wives for like, okay, just leave us out of this story. No, that's a part of the consequence. Can you believe his other kids for like, Dad's such a jerk. No, it's that's a consequence. But David goes, I'm going to keep moving forward. And I know that what I do now is going to have consequences later. Now, for many of us, I think when we don't understand this principle, we set ourselves up for a lot of pain. Because we feel like, okay, when... You know, there are things that happen to me. There are relationships that break down. I have to go back and reform it. You know, there, anybody who's been married more than once understands this. Um, you usually take the problems with you. So it's amazing how many of your wives or husbands can turn out to be just like the others because it's a you problem, but it, not all of you, certainly. But here's the thing. What do you do? You are in the situation that you're in because of choices you make. Can you accept that? Now, guess what? Where you end up in the future is determined by the choices that you make now. Now, people who hurt me, people who injure me, I want to forgive them because I don't want to be just thinking about it all the time. But at the same time, I want to respect the privilege that God has given me to make decisions that some people, I just have to decide, you don't fit in my life anymore. I've learned my lesson. It was wrong for me to let you do this to me this long. It was wrong for me to worry about what you were saying and what you were thinking, to let you judge me. You know what? I admit that. You ever think of that? If, in fact, sin means settling for something less than God's best for you, sometimes you've been trying to help someone, and it was a sin. Because it wasn't going to work. It was only going to make the problem worse. We have to be free to be able to say, I want to make the choices now that are going to give me the best options in the future. But I don't hold bitterness. I don't like, I'm gonna, I'll am going to. show them, I'll punish them. That shows you haven't forgiven. But to be able to forgive and then go, but what I want today is what's going to be the best choice that I can make today. And sometimes it's not to let you manipulate me anymore. And it's so important to understand that you can't let people take over the right that God gave you to self-determine. You listen to him. You forgive others. You don't like, oh, my mom. and like Your mom's been dead for 20 years. I know. But I'll no, just move forward. Forgive everybody who's ever hurt you. And forgive yourself for letting it bother you so much. But then move forward with the knowledge that, you know, I'm not going to have the perfect life. And I'm still going to pay the price for some of my um, stupidity in the past. But today, I want to understand that the gift that God has given me of self-determination... I'm going to value that. I'm going to treasure it. And I'm going to make the best decisions that I can make right now. Because that's what it is to walk with God. To do less than that, to allow your past, to drag you back, to endlessly try to win over somebody that is just always going to resent you for whatever reason. It's a waste of effort and energy. Later on, we'll see how when David's really pushed toward bringing Absalom back and you know, trying to you know, trying to make things right with him and we're like cheering for that and then Absalom tries to kill him and takes over his throne and runs him out of town. Sometimes the Absaloms in your life, you're better off just moving on. You're better off like, okay, you're there and I'm here and this is fine. And I think this is all a part of choices that we make in life. Now for every one of us, I think, you know, our privilege is the ability to choose. That starts with Choosing to receive God's forgiveness. See, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you have no self-determination. He's the one, God is the one who has given you the right to choose. If you reject Jesus, you're rejecting self-determination. It's only Jesus who died for you to give you the right to be able to live the life that you can live the best possible from here on. That's because of Jesus. If you've never accepted him, I pray that you will. And I pray that you'll do it soon. Because there's nothing like being forgiven to then free you up to say, what do I do now? What is the wisest choice I can make right now? And that's what God has for you. When he designed and made us as people, it was, here's your greatest gift. What you do matters. You can influence your own future. In a bad way, that was still a privilege. In a good way, what a blessing. Don't deny that. Don't become someone who thinks you're all nihilistic, like nothing matters, there's no meaning, or you're deterministic, well, it all happens because God wants it exactly the way. Baloney. All of that cheapens who you are. Take the privilege of choice, of self-determination, and understand where you go from here is kind of up to you. He is with you. He has forgiven you. He will not hold anything against you. Other people will. Sometimes they just need to be out of your life for you to move forward. But move forward, and those little blessings, that little Solomon, the one who God loves, the the peaceful one, um, he might be out there in your future. If you know that you've sinned against people, apologize. Pay them back if you ripped them off, but then move on. Don't think that now it's your job to change the past. It's your job to change the future. And he wants to go with you into the future hand in hand, helping you to know what the best choices are. And it's so, it's so life-shattering in a way when you discover that, you know what God wants the most? is what's the absolute best for you. You have a world that tells you that you need to just, you know, what you want, what you need, who you are, you don't matter. Well, you matter to him. He loved you so much he sent his son to die for you. Now, do you want to walk in that freedom and relish in that power? Or do you just want to play the victim card and have yourself spiral down and to nothingness? We've never invested more in trying to help people you know, and failed so miserably. There's never been more treatment for problems of the psyche, and there's never been more suicides that come out of it at the same time. At some point, maybe we just grow up and go, Yeah, it's a bummer what's happened, but my life starts today. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word and for your truth. Lord, we do, we are privileged to have been given this choice. And we're sorry when we just pass the choice off to others. We let other people define us. We let other people make decisions for us. We feel trapped, like because we're somewhere, we have to stay there. We have to stay with that, that situation, that job or whatever, those friends. Lord, help us to have the courage to move forward with a determination that recognizes my future has been placed in my hands by the God who made me. May I make the right decisions. May I act in courage so that what comes is blessings even among the pain. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.